want to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Um, it has been very special to be here for the Sunday school lesson and worship. This morning's message is, is uh, titled Praise in Trial. It's a message of encouragement. It's been an encouragement to me. Um, it's a message about a great God, about little weak people, and it's given by a little weak mortal here this morning. But I'm glad that we're serving a wonderful God. So, a simple message about a great, our great God. Taken from Acts 16.6. Anyone can tell me what that's about? Before you look. Three couple smiles. Like somebody knows. Anyone? Paul and Silas in prison. Okay? That's before that. So it's not Paul and Silas. <laughs> The Macedonian call is what it starts out with. Acts 16.6. And they went to the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden of the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they were come over against Mysia, they had faith to go into Mysia, and the Spirit of Jesus suffered them not. And passing by Mysia, they came down in Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There was a man of Macedonia standing, beseeching him, and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, straightway we sought forth to go forth into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Setting sail therefore from Troas, we made straight course to Samothrace, and the following day into Neapolis. From thence to Philippi, which is the city of Macedonia, the first district, the first of the district, a Roman colony, and we were in this city during certain days. And on the Sabbath day, we went forth without the gate by Riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spake unto the women that were come together. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, one that worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened to give heed unto the things which were spoken by Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there, and she constrained them. And it came to pass as we were going to place to the place of prayer, that a certain maid, having a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her master <coughs> much gain by two things. The same following after Paul and us cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim unto you the way of salvation. And this he did for many days. But Paul, being sore, Trouble turned and said to the Spirit, I charge thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gain was gone, 
They laid hold on Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and set forth customs which it is not lawful for us to receive or to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent their garments off them, that's off the fall of Pilate, and commanded to beat them with rods. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, cast them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were there crying and weeping, you know. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns unto God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's hands were loose. And the jailer, being roused out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, See thyself no harm, for we are, we are all here. And he called for lights and sprang in, and trembling for fear fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved, thou in thy house. And they speak the word of the Lord unto him with all that were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night, and washed the stripes, and was baptized, he and all his immediately, and brought them into his house, and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly with all his house, having believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates and the sergeant saying, Let this men go. And the jailer reported the words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to you to go. Now therefore come forth and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beat us publicly, Paul has stopped right here. That's the interesting too, but stop there. So here we have a, a clear call of Paul and Silas being sent forth to Macedonia. The Spirit had intervened to not let them go to another place, right? And you kind of think how that pertains so much to our lives so many times. Um, God, where we as Christians have a constant Macedonian call. There are times in our lives when the call of God may even feel contrary to one that would be our natural inclination. Now, Abraham surely must have um, seen the same green pastures Rich, lush pastures, good for sheep, good for raising cattle, that lot is. But God had different plans for Abraham, didn't he? Many people are faced by disappointments. We all are. It's the life we live after the curse, right? Um, I remember as a very young child, seven, eight, nine year old. My mother grieving for the health of my little sister, Carla's twin, Kayleen. As the realization settled in on her that, that Kayleen has cerebral palsy, 
It's irreversible. It's not going to change. Uh, there was a real process of disappointment and grief that she went through. And I'm sure my dad would say I didn't notice as much with him. She talked more with me about it. The dreams that she had cherished during her pregnancy and the resulting reality were all very, very different. Um, instead of a normal, healthy baby girl, her and my father needed to adjust to a beautiful little baby girl um, whose little body was wrapped with pain on and on. And um, I know this story is familiar to many of you. Um, where what you dream and what reality is become very different. Um, I think we've all faced that at some point or other. Your lives were planned one way. Our lives had one plan, and then the unplanned came along and changed things. God changed things. We are part of His kingdom. He led us down a different way. My mother explained it to me one time that she had read this story someone else had written about a similar situation that she faced. She said it was like going on a flight, planning to go somewhere and to Italy for a vacation. And uh, when they landed, they were in, uh, you know, Deutschland or somewhere else, uh, a very different place. Not that the life couldn't be good, but it was very different from what they had planned. Their health, their relationships, there's other life changing factors beyond our controls that, that God brings along to us in our individual journeys and probably collectively as well. Then there are calls that bring us out of our comfort zone, calls to face evil, calls to witness even in the face of our enemies, calls to pull coals of fire on our enemies' heads, calls to minister outside of our normal settings where our faith has to be expanded in our Beans, crushed, pulled, chips, just whatever. You know, we get called outside of our comfort zone. Uh, and that's the point that I'm trying to bring out here is that the Spirit directed Paul and Silas to Macedonia. A blank check. Go that way. God had a plan for them there. And they didn't know what that plan was. So they get there and, you know, find this these ladies meeting, and this uh, lady named Lydia is her heart is open, ready for the Lord, and she converts to Christianity very quickly. You know, what a blessing. What a beautiful blessing. They landed a Roman colony of Philippi, the suburb of Macedonia. A new saint and a family is brought into the kingdom. Hallelujah. You know, things are going well. Wow, what a work of the Spirit. It's all wonderful. There's an open door. There are conversions. There's fellowship. There's lodging. There's meals. You know, what what more could a good faithful missionary ask for? It's all come together. Um, And many times it's through the experience of the people of God. Good things happen. Clear biblical direction accompanied by spirit movement. It's received. The Lord blesses. There's joy. There's confirmation. The house of God's on fire and things are happening. There's love, joy, growth, and all goodwill abounding everywhere. And that's all what we all hope and pray for. 
But then there's this snag that comes along, this little ministry snag. Who would have ever thought it would be that big and that ugly? Paul and Silas are busy doing the work of God. They're heading to the place of prayer. No doubt they've been witnessing on the way, day after day, stealing some folks in Jesus' name, I, I would think. People are still being brought into the kingdom. The Word of God and the people of God are being multiplied. But this young lady, this young maiden, is following them around. Now, first of all, we with me a thought she was a witness for God. She's saying that these are the servants of the Most High God, right? She's saying, listen to them, right? Listen to what they have to say. Listen to what they're saying. But Paul says to Silas says, I think that something's wrong. Maybe our life isn't matching up. Maybe there's, you know, there's just something wrong with that message. He says in that spirit that something's wrong. And finally, it says after many days, maybe Paul had even asked her to step back. Uh, I don't know what all. But after many days, and since she made a living by her, um, by her soothsaying. So they, they, I'm sure they noticed all of that too. And somehow soothsaying and witnessing for Christ don't go together, right? They don't fit. And um, probably that caused a sort of maybe even barrier for people who are looking for the pure word of God. And you know, often carnality comes around us as well. Uh, there are snags that we face. Um, snags when the truth is subverted, the message of salvation is subverted or depressed. The call of holiness is held back by carnality. Maybe our witness is held back by our own carna- carnality. The big eye is present and it clouds what should be there. The, the witness of Christ. And this is a huge snag. You know, we may well learn to walk the walk and even talk the talk and so forth, but not really live the life of, of being a Christ child. That's the snag. That's the problem. I've been there. I suppose you have too, and I hope we're not there. And if we are, there's a way out. Uh, there's healing. There's a way to move forward. But this is a real snag in kingdom living. It's a troubling place to be. Well, Paul, he addressed this troubled woman. He addressed her problem. He heals her, really. He moves that, he commanded that demon to go out. Um, and he says the Spirit left that maiden in the same hour. This account is focusing on Paul and Silas' ministry. It doesn't address what happened to that maiden. I hope that she was, became a firm believer in the Lord, that she was a, just a beautiful witness there in the city of Philippi. We don't know what took place. At least it doesn't stay here. But we do know that the demon left. She became well in that sense. The narrative goes back to Paul and Silas and how this, they're delivering this 
this maiden from this bondage, how it affected them. Again, when the people of God rise to build, remember what the devil does? He either rises to defeat and destroy. And that's what he did here. In casting out that demon, Paul not only tangled with the powers of darkness, but he also tangled with some very evil and corrupt men. Men who had enslaved a young maiden for their own nefarious purposes. They put her into diabolical bondage, or use that diabolical bondage for their own greed, their own lust. And Paul messed with that. He messed with their pockets. He messed with their income, and they were furious. And it seems like the Macedonian Paul is the real bend for the work here. Um, Paul and Silas faced felt wrath. They went from being the good news preachers to the Jews who were carrying things up in town. They moved, and things moved pretty quickly. They're escorted to the magistrate, they're beat with rods, they're given many stripes, thrown into a cell, put into lockdown, feet cut. And the point is here that Paul and Silas weren't out, they weren't out hunting trouble. They weren't out hunting to get beat up, to get their back slashed, back slaughtered, bloodied, and so forth. That wasn't their point here. They, 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 you know, they, they didn't want to land there at all, I don't think. They didn't want to be against that prison wall and uh, have their feet tucked together. This is a path that God led them on. When they took on that Macedonian call, when they decided to follow Christ, it was a path that God took them on. Place they found themselves. They found themselves in a place of trial. And will Christians of today find themselves in places where they'd rather not be? Absolutely. This will happen, I believe, to us on every level, to every true child of God. Now I'd like to look at that just a little bit. Reasons that we might find ourselves in places where we'd rather not be at times. You know, God may be testing our faith and growing our patience. John, uh, James 1, 1 through 4, 1, 2 through 4 says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Uh, this doesn't mean fall into various, you know, uh, evil of your own doing. It means when you fall into trials and are in places that are difficult, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Imagine that, that it would take something so difficult as patience to make us perfect and complete and lacking nothing. God may want to demonstrate His almighty power in the face of our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.8 he says this, concerning this thing, Paul's talking about his sword. I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul's talking, will I glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest on me. 
Wherefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses, in injuries, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I, then am I strong. And Paul here isn't taking pleasure in his weakness. No, it's not what he's after. He's not saying, look at me, I'm so weak, I, you know, I'm really pleased about this. Not saying that. He's saying, I take pleasure in what? In that God's power can be demonstrated in me in spite of my weaknesses. Maybe another way of saying it is that God, the power of God accomplished by the will of God, by the power of God in, in, in spite of this weak and earthly vessel, not because of it. The power of God, by the will of God, accomplished in this weak and earthly, earthly vessel, in spite of it, not because of it. I take pleasure in my weakness. Why? Because the power of God can be so manifestly demonstrated in that. God may be crushing us to diffuse the fragrance of His person around. Second uh, Corinthians two fourteen through seventeen. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. The other realm of life leading to life, and who is sufficient for these things? For we not, for we are not as so many, telling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in sight of God in Christ. So, one picture that uh, some commentators would believe that Paul is trying to show there is. That of a, a Roman army coming back victoriously from battle. They come back, they're coming down the streets, the citizens know they're coming back, they've got flowers together, roses and so forth, and they've taken these flowers and they've thrown them out. That was what they would do. They've thrown them out onto the streets. And as these horses go down the streets, they're trampling on these flowers. And uh, from that comes up an aroma that people smell. And um, could it be that Paul was referring to the people of God being those petals that are being crushed? And as they're being crushed, there's an aroma coming from them. It's either as sweet or as a fragrance. It's either a smell of death to some because it's a smell of victory of Christ and it means that the kingdom of evil is being defeated. Or it's the aroma, the life-giving aroma of Christ that people can see that God is at work. God is building His kingdom, um, the fragrance of Christ, attracting people to the kingdom of God. So I guess the question could be, what happens when we get crushed, when we get pinched? And does the fragrance of Christ come out in you and me? Maybe God wants to hear us sing. Maybe I'll sing this song. Maybe I'll try. Listen to the song that was really, that really impressed me. And I'll give it a try. There came, there came a thousand times, down at the jail that night. 
Master Paul and Silas would not be dismayed. They said it's time to lift our voice, sing praises to the Lord. Let's prove that we will trust Him. Come what may, God wants to hear you sing. When the waves are crashing around you, when the fiery darts around you, when despair is all you see, God wants to hear your voice. When the wisest man is spoken, and says your circumstances are soft, what else can be? That's when God wants to hear you sing. He wants to hear our praise on our cheerful days. When the pleasant times of labor bear by far. But when suffering comes along, and we still sing him songs, that is when we bless the Father's heart. God wants to hear you sing, when the waves are crashing around you, when the fire dust around you, when despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice. When the wise of sin is spoken, and says your circumstances are hopeless as can be, that's when God wants to hear you sing. Maybe we can try that again another time. I love that song. You don't need to do that, but... Okay, moving back again. God would have us enter into spiritual battle, I believe. That's another thing that He wants us to do. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Now, I added that last part there. You know, obviously, when Paul wrote of a spiritual battle, he was speaking with experience. Can command a demon out of a maiden one minute, cruelly beat with many stripes, and next, the next, and then land, back home, torn into shreds into a jail cell, lacerated, bleeding. I guess that wall, cold, stone wall probably, feet tough. They're sitting on a floor there. Um, it seems like a huge cost for Paul's house to pay, didn't it? Just for helping out this maiden and for keeping the Word of God moving. He spoke from experience when he wrote this. So did Paul and Silas have an argument as whether or not Paul could have healed that maiden? Maybe. We don't know. Did they slump in the prison, you know, with their blood clotted backs against that dirty, rough sun wall, lament the unfairness of their situation? Maybe. We don't know. But what God put on the record and what He remembers about Paul and Silas and about this situation is this. About midnight, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they 
14 years unto God. And what was happening? The prisoners were listening to them. That's what was happening. That's what God remembers. Isn't that beautiful? You know, rest assured, the same God who sees a sparrow fall. And there is a number of the hairs in our heads. Also, I found a new strike on the back of fallen silence. Now, when he was suffering with them during the prison cell, he brought them into hope from despair of their own situation. You know, these could have developed an infection and died from their strike, died a feverish death. But God has something very different in mind for them. And God is. God decided to show them strength in their weakness. They're in the cell, they can't do anything. They're stuck. They're going to die unless things change. God decided that He's ready to show His strength in, in their weakness. And God is still doing the bit now today. He's showing Himself strong day by day in our lives, giving us grace. For the hour, light in the darkness, embracing us with his presence, and the hour of trial. What time is it here? Let me point that. Um, there's a story that I, I told to our men's group, and it just bears repeating. It's such a lovely, beautiful story of challenge. story of Dmitri in, uh, in communist Russia. I think he was in, I don't have the notes for this story, so I'm going to bring it from memory here. Um, it's from the book, The Insanity of God. He was thrown into prison for uh, preaching the gospel, and he wasn't a preacher. The churches had been kind of disbanded, you know, home churches around, but uh, just not even home churches. There were just people, maybe some homeless would be reading the Bible, but basically, Communist Russia succeeded in disbanding most of the churches and shutting them down and so forth. And this Dimitri decided after a few years of not being able to go to church because there were, there was so far to the, there's actually a state organized church. He decided that he's going to get his family together and they're going to start worshiping. So they started reading the Bible. He started reading the Bible to his sons. And um, his wife was really pleased. Um, and she started, and, and they started singing together. And the children wanted more stories. And so he had access to the Bible somehow. Uh, I think maybe his father had been a preacher. And so this went on. After a bit, neighbors started gathering around and coming and uh, listening in. And first thing they knew, they had this big crowd in their living room. And pretty soon it got so big that people were listening in from the windows. And of course, at some point, they drew the, the notice of the authorities and the king. And they told him, you know, you got to knock this off. You're, you're doing church here. We can't have that. He said, well, I'm not, I'm not even a pastor. You know, I, I just work in some study. And, and we're not even doing church. We're just, you know, with our family, these people come. And so it doesn't matter. Well, they kept on doing it, and the church kept on growing. Uh, people kept on coming, and um, they came back again the next time and, and cruelly beat uh, the Dimitri. And at that point, one of the ladies in the group, older ladies in the group, stood up and said, Told the officer, 
for what you've done, you're going to die. God's going to judge you. And sure enough, uh, that, that was on Tuesday, the following Thursday, this man died of a heart attack. And that just brought the whole village into a sort of state of repentance. And they came and so, you know, the communist authorities couldn't have this going on. So they came and got Dimitri and put him in the uh, and put him in the jail for 17 years, I think it was, 20 years. He was in that jail. It was a rough place and very rough. In his jail, he had like a water pipe that came from the floor, from the ceiling to the floor. And there was a little, tiny little sticker that would come out and run. And uh, in the wintertime, this thing would freeze over. And um, it would get so cold in there. They got a little bit of ration, food, and so forth. The author of this book asked, well, how did you manage to keep your sanity, keep your faith in God during that time? And he said, well, it was two things. My father taught me a heart song when I was a boy. And he said, by the grace of God, I got up, I faced the east, I squared back my shoulders, and I sang that song. And when I did that, he said, the prisoners would make fun of me, they would uh, rattle their pans, they would throw, um, you know, all kinds of stuff at them. It was very, very, uh, not very well received at all. And he said, the other thing was, he said, I would, whenever I could get, could, I would, any little scrap of paper I could find, I would take and write on it a verse, and, uh, a little bit of song, whatever I could find. He said, I would put it up against that pole, wrap it around, and if it was just water on it, it would just sit there. And he said it was just my offering to God. He said the soldiers would come, they would find that, they would rip it off, they would beat me. He said it was just my offering to God. He said it was by doing that that I kept my faith. And uh, this went on for many years. One day, late into his sentence, um, he found God gave him a special gift. He found this big piece of paper on the floor. And it was like a full feet. Both sides were open. He said, Plus, God put a pencil beside it. And so he was able to go and write on this piece of paper. He just wrote on verses, verses of songs. He said he filled it completely up on both sides and then down. And he put it to put on it. And he put it on that pencil. He said, What a great offering to God. He was so pleased. Well, the guards came in and found this. And he said, where did you find that? And he said, I don't know if God gave it to me. And they said, why did you do this? He said, it's my offering to God. He said, we're going to kill you for this. They ripped it off. They grabbed him and started marching him down the, the prison corridor. And the prisoners, I guess, knew that this was serious. Uh, Dimitri felt like they were truly trying to kill him this time. <laughs> He said that they were marching along. All of a sudden, it was all 1,600 of his fellow prisoners stood up and started singing that heart song that he had sung every day of all the time. He said the guards just relaxed their hold on him and said, Who are you? He said, I'm the servant. He said, I'm the, the son of God, the Savior of the world. He's my father. And... Um, he was released soon after that. 
But the, the moral is that, or the, the lesson that I the challenge of talking about is he kept on praising God even in that very, very trying situation day after day. God wants to hear us sing. He wants to hear a voice of praise. Wherever we are, whatever situation we're in. God wills for us to be overcomers. Revelation 12, 7. It's talking about Satan being thrown down to earth. And I wondered if this passage even fit in when I first read it. It's the passage that came to my mind and somehow I didn't quite, I wasn't quite sure how it fit in, but I'll explain it to you. Revelation, how it fits into me. Uh, Revelation 12, 7. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So that the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceived the whole world, who was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they fought. They overcame him, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. How does that fit with us? You know, I believe that is something that's being played out in our lives day by day. Okay? Just as surely as the peaceful kingdom starts in our lives here and now, so is overcoming starting in our lives here and now, and we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our lives to the death. It sounds pretty dramatic, but the battle has already been won. Jesus has done that. The people of God have overcome. They're overcoming, and they will all overcome. All the people of God, the state faithful, will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony. So in summary, there's no battle, there's no trial greater than our God. In fact, it seems that the size of the trial may be the more insignificant fact in whatever we're facing or may face. That's something that struck me. The size of our trial may be the more insignificant fact in whatever we're facing or may face. And that's not to minimize big trials. I know some of you are facing big trials or facing big trials. That's not to minimize that. I just to say we have a great big job. And it's also to stress our own utter weakness and our own insignificance and to maximize our dependency on God. <clears throat> the significant factor is for we turn for help in this trial. There is grace, there is strength for us when we obediently look to Christ to claim His blood and His provision for whatever circumstances or trial or battle we're facing. Yes, certainly Paul and Silas says prayer and singing was their way of reaching out to the Lord for strength in the time of their great need. And in turn, the Lord blessed their prayers and their praise, and He brought about His will through their response. 
and prayer and praise in our times of trial continue to be the way we overcome and keep ourselves from falling prey or falling to the snare of the enemy. God wants to hear us too. We're not alone. As that other song says, it's so beautiful. We're not alone. God is with us. God is with us for whatever struggle or trial we're facing today. And God has made a way for us. From prison and awaiting trial, Paul prayed a beautiful prayer of encouragement for us. So Paul's in prison in another passage here in Ephesians. He's in Caesarea, we think at least. He's awaiting his trial before Caesar. And he prays this beautiful prayer for, of encouragement for his fellow Christians. And I know it's for us to hear today because God put it on the record for us. And I'd like to read this in closing. Paul's, the Apostle Paul, Paul's prayer for spiritual strength for us. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I bow my head, my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all, all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And these two last verses are so beautiful. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. According to the power that he works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, which includes ours, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.